Episode 1, A Conversation with Stan Nord. Good. We got some, yeah, we got some levels there. Yep. Awesome. Can you hear me okay? Oh, yeah. That's All right. perfect. Great. All right. Hello, and welcome back to the Keep Your Day Job podcast. Uh, this is a special election edition, and we are excited today to be joined by our first guest, Stan Nord. Hey, Stan. How's it going? Good, good. Thank you for having me. Absolutely. Why don't we get started? So we've got some predetermined questions here that we're going to ask. Um, but first, why don't we give you an opportunity to give us a quick introduction, uh, let us know about you. Um, so my name's Stan Nord. I'm a townie. I wasn't born here, but I was raised here. My family's been here for like six generations. Um, gosh, I've worked for big business. I've worked for federal government. Well, for the Department of Veterans Affairs. I was a contractor there. Mm-hmm. Um, and I've started several businesses. So I've got quite a few hats that I've worn. Um, grew up on a farm and went to high school here and go junior high and yeah, well, quite a bit of grade school. Nice. And so just for the audience, you are currently a member of the council running for re-election. This year, second term on the council or first? This will be, so this is my first term. Mm-hmm. If I win, then it'll be my second term. Okay, cool, cool. Well, let's go ahead and jump in. I got a fun question to get us started. Um, and again, the intent here is to try and provide some insight into your mode of thinking uh, more than just to get you to react to the issues. So first question. Uh, can you provide an example of a time in the past year when you received a piece of information that may have changed your mind uh, on a particular issue? Sure. So I have always thought that normal operated as a village because we're structured according to like all these village village laws, rules, and things like that. But then um, some citizens tried to bring forward some benefit that residents get if your government operates as a village. And the town of Normal stepped in and took the citizens to court and said, no, even though we operate as a village, we are actually a town. Mm-hmm. So that changed my thinking that, hey, Normal now isn't following village laws. They need to follow town laws. Yeah. So that was, that was a change in mindset. Absolutely. Absolutely. That's a good answer. Thank you. <laughs> so let's, uh, let's pivot a little bit to uh, some local issues. And there's one question uh, that has kind of stuck with me throughout the year. Uh, it's these flock cameras, right? Um, so in, in, it's part smart cities. It's got some big brother connotation. Uh, there's an expense factor to it that sort of stuck out to me. Um, and then finally, there's the issue of the town responding to um, the evolving need of policing, right? Uh, so when we talked earlier, I mentioned that I don't think this seems fiscally conservative or socially liberal uh, explicitly. So I was wondering if you could provide your perspective on the issue and what informed your decision. So my thought on these cameras, um, it's a public safety piece or it can be used as public safety. Mm -hmm. And there are some things, especially like when you're dealing with public safety, you can't really put a price tag to it, you know, because what's the value of a life? That's something that you can't, yeah, yeah, you can't, you can't monetize that. Mm -hmm. So, you know, I looked at it as, okay, you know, this, this is a tool. How are we going to use the tool? Well, the tool could have helped for like Jelani Day. Absolutely. You know, if we had these cameras on the perimeter of the town, we could have said, yes, we did see him leave whatever, whatever daytime. You know, mm-hmm. it will help us in cases like that. Well, um, 
I could also see this tool being used for wrong because you can plug in anybody's license plate. Mm -hmm. So let's say you're someone that has access to this tool and you want to say, hey, you know, is my spouse going around with somebody? And now you can type in those license plates, look and kind of see what's happening. Or if you want to see, you know, what some political adversary is doing, mm -hmm. you can plug in their plates and see what pops up. Yeah. So I looked for what type of oversight is there to prevent abuse like that from happening. Mm -hmm. And the only oversight that they have is they created an internal policy. There is no outside oversight. There's no elected oversight. There's no outside police review board, yeah. kind of like normal ha or kind of like Bloomington has, mm -hmm. you know, where, where citizens may not want their name coming out, but they want to report a concern or an issue. You know, they heard so-and-so talking about something mm -hmm. and they just want somebody to look into this. Um, I didn't support the cameras for that reason, because there was no oversight, yeah. no outside oversight. This is a big national company who's, you know, relatively new to the market. Mm -hmm. And there's other municipalities where people have abused these cameras. And I would hope that there's some outside agency we could hire that would look at the town of normal's usage mm -hmm. and find red flags. And especially if this is an agency that's doing it for other municipalities, they're gonna know trends and things to look for that the average person isn't. Right. You know, and these cameras, they're not just placed on the periphery, they're they are they're placed throughout town. Mm -hmm. So it's going to be hard for you to travel anywhere in town without that being logged and recorded. Right. Now, um, if you've been around the community for a long time, back in, oh, this is going back in time 20, 30 years ago. Maybe, maybe it wasn't even that long ago. But there was a police officer who he was using the um, license plate data to surveil people that then he would go and rape okay and that system at the time didn't have any oversight to see what was happening you know so the police they were investigating all these rapes and things but nobody 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 went to look at the police logs to say hey do we have an officer that's looking up mm -hmm. these victims um, 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 license plates and then people that are coming and going and related to that person you yep. know, like boyfriend leaves the house, who who's a boyfriend? You know, so this so tools have been 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 abused in the past, and here they've been they they have been abused in the past. So oversight was a big thing that was missing because had we had oversight back then, somebody would have seen that red flag, and hopefully we could have prevented some victims from going through what they what they went through. Yes. You know, so I'm a big police supporter, mm -hmm. but I'm not a supporter of giving police tools with no outside oversight. No, I think that's a great answer. And so um, I guess kind of changing a little bit, but staying with this issue. So I think the cost was around 85,000 for this, right? And so um, as, a, as, a, as a citizen, I always question, well, um, I think especially yourself, like they can create a character of you that you're someone who's trying to kind of like needle the expenses and find ways to save. Um, so is this $85,000 within like the broader spectrum of things we spend money on? Is this a substantial expense? I mean, I know you, you expressed your, your opposal to this as like no oversight, but is there, is there a, a, a monetary component to it? There is a monetary component to it, but $85,000, this was, this was right on the heels of Jelani Day. Yep. You know, 
and for the horrible time that the family had to had to endure not knowing what happened mm-hmm. you know in the police they really didn't have the ability to have a tool to say did he leave our community do we know what happened right. you know so we can say hey he went down this interstate yeah we didn't have those tools so i would have spent more than $85,000 because what if it was my kid Absolutely. what if it was your kid Absolutely. you know mm-hmm. your or, or your spouse mm-hmm. some things you just it's it's hard to put a dollar on. So you know, life safety issues. Those are, those are things that I don't nickel and dime those as much. I look for the oversight, and if the tool can save a life, you know, then likely it's worth it. And we weren't we're not the first community to do this. Bloomington had done it before we did. Mm-hmm. So you know, we do have some uh, track record to kind of fall back on. Yeah. Yeah. No, that makes sense. Thank you. All right, cool. Let's uh, let's change gears. Talk a little bit about town development. So I've got three questions in this section. They're kind of all over the board. Um, over the past term, we've seen job growth, some very interesting trends in the housing market, largely resulting from COVID, um, and we have seen some progress on the proposed development for Uptown Normal. Uh, in a sense, to me, these issues are inter- interrelated. People, where they live, and where they go. Um, so first question. Is the housing that we are building in line with the salaries of the jobs being created? Um, So what we hear commonly is that there's a lack of affordable housing. Um, We're seeing a lot of houses being built $300,000 and up. So my question is, how do we know we're building the right amount of the right houses? Well, first we have to define we, Mm -hmm. because government has played developer. And government has built $4,000 a month luxury apartments with our taxpayer dollars, you know, or at least subsidized a large percentage of those. And those would be in Uptown Normal. Those are, those are in, those are in Uptown Normal. Now that is something that I think is terrible. We should not have our taxpayer dollars being used to subsidize luxury apartments. Mm -hmm. I grew up on the west side of Bloomington. You know, we've got homeless that live over there. You know, they live in tents. They're out there, they're out there now and it's 30 something, you know, it's probably under 30 degrees. And, you know, normal is normal spending taxpayer dollars to build luxury apartments. And they want to build more luxury apartments with our taxpayer dollars. Mm -hmm. So that I think is wrong. We as a government should not be doing that. We should be helping people in need with taxpayer dollars. Mm -hmm. But as far as developers, are developers building the, the homes that are priced right for the community? Well, that's a business decision for the developers. If they think that there's a market to build $300,000 homes, and $300,000 homes today were like $200,000 homes just... Pre-COVID, absolutely. Mm -hmm. So if the developers think that there's a market, then they'll build it. And if there's not a market, then they won't. Mm -hmm. But also as our colleges or our apartment folks are building nicer and nicer apartment buildings... You know, that means that now people aren't going into these older apartments. Well, now those older apartments now cost less because the market's not there. And that's where some of the affordable housing stock is going to come from. The other piece is a developer. How does a developer build affordable housing? Because they don't have control over the the price of the materials. You know, you've got um, fees and permits that the municipality imposes. You know, which is not a huge amount of money, mm-hmm. but the developers, they may not have a whole lot of profit in it. So how do you build housing 
or how do you make developers build housing when there's no money in it for them? Yeah. You know, you have to kind of address that. And that's where government should come in and subsidize. But if we use all that money for building luxury apartments, then we don't have the money to subsidize the true affordable housing that we say we want. Mm -hmm. So I see normal as being very, very hypocritical when they say they want affordable housing, but the record shows that they take the taxpayer dollars to build luxury apartments and, and they want to build more. Um, and then so from a zoning perspective, we did have, you know, the, the issue come up about the, the housing that was going to build, be built off of Beach Street. So what role does the town play with respect to creating spaces for those type of, for that type of housing? Um, so there was a couple off of Beach Street. Yeah. Are you talking like the old ISU apartments or are you talking just the... No, not the, the cornfield. Yeah, the cornfield. Mm -hmm. Okay, so then that was a private developer. Okay. They came in and they bought, I want to say that's like 40 acres, and it's a pretty big piece. Mm -hmm. And they're actually doing two on Beach Street. So one is going to be single family homes. Yep. And that developer is building all of the homes in there. That developer is the one that, that set the price for the homes because that's what he thinks he can rent mm -hmm. or, that, or, that, or that they can rent. You know, so the government's responsibility in that spot was just zoning you know is this zoned for house for for housing yeah. and it was you know there wasn't much issue except for that lot where the developer was going to build it um was originally sold as or sold to the neighboring you know the lot that they that they bought it started off as a different development you know going to be like more expensive homes part of it was built and then the developer just stopped mm -hmm. and so a new developer comes in and he wants to build something that's a little bit under that price point and that was really the only issue but government kind of should have stayed out of that conversation yeah. um, the only thing i wish government didn't do and that i think that they did wrong was they used this existing development and said hey we are going to use you as a thoroughfare to go to this new subdivision when that new subdivision had plenty of room to have their own ingress and egress onto Beach Street. But mm -hmm. instead, they said, hey, we're going to save the developer a little bit of money by only having them put in one ingress-egress point onto Beach Street, and they can use this other neighborhood as a thoroughfare. Yeah. You know, and that, that just wasn't good. The neighbors didn't like it. Mm -hmm. um, the developer then did another development that was just down the street a little bit, that one, they actually communicated with the neighborhood in advance, and they tweaked all kinds of things. Mm. And that one went through, and there were no issues because they worked with the neighbors. The first one, they didn't work with the neighbors. They just worked with town staff. Yeah. And town staff said, well, here's, here's what you have to do, and you, know, you don't have to listen to the neighbors. Actually, at the planning commission meeting, whenever, whenever they had that, that meeting, mm -hmm. the planning commission said that they don't even have to listen to the public. For when they vote and the town attorney said that they don't have to listen to the public too mm -hmm. you know and i just think that's bad public relations yeah that our citizens who pay taxes here they don't have any say in what goes on in their community mm -hmm. and you can have outside developers and town staff most of whom do not even live in normal have more say than the people that live here yeah. you know that i think is wrong we should have some say yeah. so so what's what what could be a solution to that right because i think what you articulated was that the developer directly worked with the community in one of those instances, but not the other. Um, so does the town, does the town staff play a role in 
bringing the two together? Um, I think so. There's been two developments that have happened since the first one that was that kind of didn't go well, mm -hmm. um, and they both have had positive outcomes because they worked with the neighborhoods. They got all the issues worked out ahead of time. Mm -hmm. And I just think the town's role is when somebody's going to do a big development and there's neighbors by like, like, like neighbors surrounding existing, existing neighborhoods and they're going to do something new, you know, not just add on to existing. Right. Um, they should point out that, Hey, you should probably talk with the neighbors because they're going to get a letter and you know, we don't want this to be kind of a fiasco at these meetings because you know, it just doesn't do well for community relations. Right. Well, and it de-incentivizes people if the planning commission says, we don't have to listen to you at the end of the day, but we want you to come and give your feedback. Right? And what is the point of the planning <laughs> commission if they don't have to listen to the people? Right. They are literally just there to do what the staff tell them. That is then just a waste of government. You know, right. it's a waste of taxpayer time. And it tells the public, your voice doesn't matter. Right. And that's, that's, that's just horrible. Mm -hmm. So there's, there's an opportunity to be more responsive there, absolutely. Yeah, because then you're going to build trust in government. People are now getting involved. You right. know, you're being more, uh, more uh, inclusive. Mm -hmm. Transparent, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. All right. Uh, let's keep on the, the topic of people. Let's talk about workers. So on the heels of the workers' right amendment, uh, will the town support workers with the same energy it has for supporting businesses? And let me give a little bit more context to this question. I think a lot of times we talk about um, the, the type of tax incentives that um, you know, kind of create some controversy in the community. And so uh, I think one popular example of government being responsive to workers is uh, like Joe Biden saying that the government would not have contracts with companies that actively work to um, union bust. So I guess asking broadly, how could the town of normal, is the town of normal you know, worker focused and, and is there an opportunity to improve that? Yes, there is an opportunity to improve it. But first, we have to kind of talk about where the town is regarding like prevailing wage, yeah. you know, which is more what I think this is about. Um, so the town brags and says that they are for prevailing wage contracts, right? Well, the town has had some contracts where companies are getting um, government dollars and government incentives. And then these companies don't use local labor or even pay prevailing wage. Well, the town has gone to court over this and they've lost multiple times because these companies, they don't have to do that because our town contracts aren't written well enough to enforce it even if we have it in there, mm -hmm. all right? The town knows this, the unions, the local unions know this as well because they're the ones that actually told me the stories of this. So the town needs to tighten up their contracts, okay? The other piece is, the town doesn't require all businesses that are gonna get taxpayer incentives to use prevailing wage. So the Wildwood warehouses mm -hmm. in, North Norm in, in, in North Normal, well, the town didn't include prevailing wage in that. You know, so this is very, very recent. The town did not include it in there. So, you know, the, the folks that say the town is for prevailing wage, they're being very hypocritical because they're for prevailing wage whenever it suits their political need, but they can't enforce it. And they say they're for prevailing wage when recent contracts show that they're not even requiring it. You know, it says in there that we do not require you to do prevailing wage. And so do me a favor, define prevailing wage. Well, so you can't say you have to 
pay union, mm -hmm. but union sets prevailing wage. Okay. You know, so that's essentially the same thing. You know, if it's a union worker, they're getting prevailing wage. Okay. You know, so that's how you do that or, you know, local labor, mm -hmm. things like that. Okay. So that's basically like making sure that these businesses are paying the correct price for the market. Or getting union labors. Right, right. Okay. Because that's because that's how it's set. Okay. Okay. Cool. Yeah, you know, so the town needs to fix that, and they need to they need to start standing up for it. So, um, the electrical union what was it two years ago? They went to city hall and they all picketed um, out in the out out in the circle because what was it? One of the big companies around here. I hate to give the company name. I think it's the big one on the west side of town. Okay, wasn't using union labor right and where was the town in that conversation mm -hmm. you know when i called the union to find out what it was that they were picketing about they told me i was the only person from the town that even contacted them to find out what it was about you know so you hear government especially people well like chris coos mm -hmm. and some folks that are well that have been in power for a while say that they're for workers rights but they're not writing the contacts that way and they're not enforcing it whenever people are not paying prevailing wage. Yeah, I think that's a fair answer. Thank you. Um, thinking about uptown development, should the expansion of uptown normal project be dependent on the vacancy of the previously created spaces? And we've talked about some of those luxury apartments. And so I think what I'm trying to get at here is that it feels like we're moving full speed ahead into uh, the, the, the uptown expansion. And we're starting to see some of those businesses get filled, but there's still a lot of empty space. So, um, I mean, thinking about what the economy may look like five years from now, like everyone talks about, we anticipate a recession. Are we putting ourselves at risk by pressing forward? I mean, how do you think about that? Well, I don't think that we're building based on a need. You know, there's no, it's not being market driven. So we've got vacant spaces. You know, the town has said, hey, we want all this, all these, all these restaurants in Uptown. Well, restaurants are moving out. Restaurants rely on customers. Mm -hmm. You know, there's not a lot of customers up there. You've got government who's basically the big employer in Uptown. And when those folks leave, those customers go with them. So students, you know, they can be customers too, but are those, but, but are students gonna go to the higher end restaurants? The students have got restaurants in their dorms, you know, so where are these customers coming from? We live in a community that's got, or that's, that doesn't like to walk as much as like a Chicago, okay? Well, and I also think that if we look at the town of Normal, Uptown Normal is very walkable. Out where I live by Grove School, it's not as walkable. Right? Sure, so. walkable, but does our community really want walkable do sure. we have that type of population sure. mm -hmm. no you know i think our population likes to drive you know you go to the grocery store you'll see people drive yeah. up and down the aisles just to get a little bit closer to the door where mm -hmm. you know hey all you have to do is walk 30 more feet and you can park in all these open spots yeah you know so you have to know the audience um so i do think we need to let the market decide what's going to be in there and um kind of let that drive drive it normal should not be a developer you know, because normal's got no consequence if they make the bad development decision. Taxpayers are going to pick up the bill for any mistake. Well, if you've got a developer coming in, well, if they're not profitable, somebody's going to lose their job. You know, so then they will do a lot more due diligence. They'll have more, 
more uh, enthusiasm and effort to go in and find tenants. Mm -hmm. Government's not going to do that. Normal is being built to satisfy the mayor's legacy plan of redoing Uptown, you know, to be a postcard. These are the buildings that are supposed to be there based on a plan that was done 20 years ago. Well, 20 years ago, a lot has changed. You know, we've got people that are getting groceries delivered right. to their home. People are buying stuff online. You know, our malls have kind of all shrunk, mm -hmm. at least in Illinois, they have. You know, so buying trends have changed. All kinds of things have changed. And we should just get government out of the development hat and we should just foster businesses that want to come in and let them decide what the space is going to be best used for. Do you think that there's anything within that plan that is essential? Um, no. Okay. The underpass is not essential. Mm -hmm. People can go to an underpass just west of there if they want to. You know, Normal could easily route the trail to go to the west mm -hmm. instead of having people ride their bikes through downtown. Um, if the underpass was going to encompass Linden Street and let vehicles go through, then I think that would be essential because now public safety can be addressed. You can have ambulance, fire trucks, you yeah. know, things like that not be stopped whenever there's a, whenever there's a train there. That's a great point. Yeah, that Buford-Linden intersection is kind of, kind of wonky too. Yeah, and I said that I would absolutely support, support it if we could get vehicles through there. But since we can't, this is simply a recreational underpass. Mm -hmm. And as the town manager had sent out in an email, this is now going to be over, well, I think she had an old number, but we're probably getting closer to $40 million to save people from walking 50 feet. Right. You know, and you're going on a trail to exercise. Yeah. Yeah. You know, the south side of um, the tracks, they don't have an anchor for that over there. The library is not an anchor for over there. You know, the town has talked about moving the library somewhere else, completely away from uptown. Mm -hmm. And the far folks... They don't have an anchor to build um, the building on. So they don't know if they want to do more office space, you know, retail space, what type of space they want to do. How high do the ceilings need to be? Do we need dock doors? Sure. Do we need a parking lot? Because if you're going to put a grocery store in there, people want to park. You know, yeah. so and it's of your opinion that these, right, there's a, there's a certain lack of accountability because the town is taking a hand in this that may absolve these construction companies of doing their due diligence, their market research that needs to. To, to know what this space needs. Sure. I mean, if you look at the um, at the convention center in Uptown Normal, I mean, it's a nice building, right? Mm -hmm. But taxpayers paid for that. Yeah. You know, so why should government do that? Because now taxpayers paid for it. We don't collect property tax off of it. And we've got another convention center in Bloomington who's for profit. They pay property tax. Now they have to figure out how to compete against a competitor that doesn't have the same expenses. Yeah. You know, so that's so that's a slap in the face for our businesses. And you know, it doesn't help taxpayers because somebody's got to pay for all the municipal services and things like that. And if we're picking and choosing favorites and people who don't have to pay the bill and make others, that's just not fair for taxpayers either, you sure. know. And why is another business going to come and try and put in another convention center if they know the town of Normals just going to give favorable treatment to someone else. Kind of like what Normal did to Portillo's, or did for Portillo's. They gave them a bunch of taxpayer incentives, but it came out of the pockets of the other restaurants here in our community. You know, so that's picking the winners and losers. Yeah, no, that does make sense. Yeah, there is, there's something to be said about an effort to draw business to the area, but to your point, if it 
if it handicaps other people from being able to operate in the same space, then it's not fair. And it depends on the type of business. Because if you're a business that's like a Rivian or a State Farm, you're bringing money in from outside of the area, mm -hmm. right? And you're hiring local. Those are what I call like an economic backbone business. Because they bring in a population, they bring in money from out of the area. So then once you have a population here, well, that population now, now, now needs things. They need groceries. So grocery stores are going to come because it's profitable. You know, there's a lot of customers here. You're going to have health centers come. You're going to have, you know, restaurants. You're going to have retail. All these other things are here because we've got the population. That population is here because of the backbone business. Our economic incentive dollars should be used to bring in those backbone businesses, not to bring in somebody's favorite restaurant. Mm -hmm. If you want your favorite restaurant to come in here, you call them up and sell why it's such a great community to come to. But don't use you know, taxpayer dollars from you know, the other restaurants just because you want yours here. Absolutely. And I think there's something to be said about, you know, I'm, again, I'm a big proponent of workers' rights. And I would rather see less chain restaurants and more locally owned restaurants that have a stronger investment in the area. Um, I think we've seen you know, the kind of Walmartization of America and Dollar General is that as these chains are buying up these spaces, it's making it very difficult for other companies to open and compete in that market. And then these companies get to set the wages, which sometimes don't leave people with a, a whole lot to live on. So yeah. I think it's personally definitely relevant to the strength of the area. So let's wrap this up by uh, talking a little bit more conceptually about the council. As I mentioned earlier, we'd like to get some insight into your mode of thinking. Um, to really think about how effective this body is to represent our community. So um, we have very, very low voter turnout, and especially in this April election, uh, we probably will have lower turnout because it's not a major election. So uh, does it matter that such a small amount of people vote? And you know, on the heels of that, does engaging the non-voter demographic factor into your campaign? Um, so it does matter that not very many people vote. You know, local, local politics, local government doesn't get the press because the audience is not that big for news agencies and news outlets. Mm -hmm. uh, but it impacts you more than state and federal issues or state and federal taxes. I wish more people got involved, but, you know, they don't. Yep. Um, as far as, well, the other thing is, is, um, I don't see a lot of people getting involved actually running for office. You've got the same people recycling. You know, I'm a recycled candidate because other people aren't. Yep. You know, we need to lower the bar. So, so in normal, you have to get just as many signatures to be a lowly council person as you do a mayor. For state rep this last cycle, it was, this, it was nearly the same signature count. Now, in Bloomington, um, they have to get like 10 times less signatures you know, um, I like Bloomington's better because their elected representatives are closer to the people. You know, they're in their neighborhoods, so they fight for their neighborhoods. Here in Normal, you know, you've got to be able to spend a lot more money. So now you're kind of beholding to bigger businesses and things. And you want community-wide projects rather than fighting for someone's neighborhood. So then we've got streets that are bad because all our money is getting poured into, say, uptown. Yeah. You know, so we need to make it more affordable to get more people to run. And then I think you'll get more voter turnout. But as people have been told time and time again by normal, your voice doesn't matter. You know, they did it at the Planning Commission, mm -hmm. we did it with districting, we've done it multiple times. It just pushes people away. So why participate? You know, if you never get a win, 
why participate? Absolutely, absolutely. Yeah, I mean, we saw that, that the districting conversation go from you'll never get enough signatures to those signatures aren't valid to, well, this whole thing isn't valid. So it was really, I mean, as a person who was a proponent of that issue, I was definitely left feeling left out, flat out, just, you know, there, there, there was no voice for me in this space. Yeah, and also, we had Blackstone Trail who turned in a petition saying we didn't want something happening in our neighborhood. The town ignored them, did whatever they wanted, saved the mural. Over 5,500 people signed a petition for there. The town ignored them. Mm -hmm. You know, so there's petition after petitioning. Well, one normal plaza. The entire neighborhood said, no, don't put liquor here. Mm -hmm. And, you know, there's one person that says they want this. And if it's the right connected person, they get it. It doesn't matter how many thousands of other residents say no. And that's just not that's just not good public relations. I don't care right. which I don't care if you wanted districts or not, but the citizens should have a right to say something in their government. Yeah, absolutely. Oh no, I and excuse my pause. Uh, for those listening, um, if it sounds like we're recording this in a gym, it's because we are. Thanks Four Seasons for letting us use the meeting space. Uh, but there's someone pumping iron in the next room, so you may hear a little bit of that. All right. Uh, so kind of piggybacking onto that same question, what is your message? to the voters who felt cynical about the way things went the last year, right? You just mentioned three or four different things that could have left people with a bitter taste in their mouth. Um, and I think that you, Carl Sela, and Mark Turtilli, in a sense, represent that sort of anti-establishment um, factor of the, of the candidates here. So I guess the question is, how do we change this? If, if we feel cynical about where this is going, how do we change this? Yeah, well, what it's all about, it's just about creating a balance on the council that reflects the community. Mm -hmm. Okay, the mayoral elections, the past two have shown that the community is pretty much split half, half and half, mm -hmm. you know, some for the, or half for the mayor, half for the other side. Well, we need our council to be that way too. Um, it's not, it's heavily one-sided. Right. Um, so if we elect, say myself, Carl Sela, and Mark Teratilli, Mark, Mark, Mark Teratelli, that's going to better balance the council. You know, you're still going to have four that have historically voted with the mayor. So, you know, it gets us closer to a balance. Mm -hmm. And once we have a balance, that's going to do some things. It's going to force healthy conversations that we don't want to have. It's going to force that to happen. Yep. It's going to force compromise where one side just can't dictate and say, hey, we don't need you because we've got a super majority, so we can just exclude you from the conversation altogether. Mm -hmm. You know, that's what I think needs to happen. And, you know, for the community, then if all voices are represented, you're not going to have the angst that we currently have because people can speak their mind and they can be outvoted, which is fine. But when you're told you can't even speak, yeah. that's wrong. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. And so... One, one thing that's been really interesting to me is uh, like the development of the Responsible Cities Pack. Um, and so if you, if you look, go, go back in the Wayback Machine um, to when it was created, WL, WGLT uh, called out that this pack was created to push back against some of the more polarizing candidates. At the time, Jen Carrillo uh, was, was one of the names that was mentioned. Um, so what, in your opinion, causes this type of polarization that's happening in our area and without that conflict, without that um, dichotomy of viewpoints, are we a representative body? Is the council representative? No, the council is not representative because we are very one-sided. Mm -hmm. um, with our at-large elections, it's winner-take-all. So if the majority of the 
whichever mayor candidate wins, you know, all of all of the councilmen that he's pushing for are going to win as well. You know, because it's kind of just like voting Republican or Democrat. Sure, you vote the entire ticket. Mm -hmm. You know, they say this is nonpartisan, but it it is. Um, so I see that needs to change. But the responsible cities, that is not an independent group. That is Chris Coos pushing Chris Coos candidates that he wants. You know, if you look at the members on there, a lot of those members are people that Chris Coos has appointed to different town positions that he does without getting any input or um, oversight from the council. We can't even, well, we don't even know until the day of the meeting who he wants to appoint. You know, that doesn't happen in the federal government anywhere else. Bloomington doesn't, Bloomington doesn't even do that. Mm. You know, the council has, has, has input. Um, so I see the responsible cities. It's just pushing candidates that will align with Chris Goose. Sure. And he might say, well, they're Republicans or Democrats, but at the end of the day, they all align with, they all align with him, which I think is bad. I think any of these PACs, they should be set up with nobody that's elected or appointed if it's gonna have any real credibility. Mm -hmm. You know, the name is good, except Normal's not a city. It's true. We had a big debate about that, didn't we? <laughs> so thinking about the body, uh, the, I'm sorry, thinking about the, the council more broadly, uh, is it a place for creative thinking? And I'm asking this question as an outsider who doesn't know everything about how the council operates, but I like to think with some optimism that if someone were elected who had a third or even a fourth perspective than what the options are on the table, that they may be able to change things. But am I, am I overestimating the role of the council there? Um, I would, so I expected ideas to be welcomed there. Mm -hmm. But the reality of what it is, it's so team focused, you know, my team has to come up with the right answer. If your team puts out something, even if it's a good answer, we're just going to shoot it down because it was your team. Mm -hmm. That has to change. Um, so, you know, you hear over and over at council meetings, well, we hire professional staff. We have to listen to the professional staff. Well, that just tells you and tells the public that outside ideas don't, don't, don't receive the respect that town staff's opinions would receive right. and town staff they they support the mayor you know their jobs depend on it you know and that's that I think is wrong I would like to see more elected oversight over the staff you know if we had these couple uh, these these newer elected positions that towns are supposed to have well then you wouldn't have them all be holding to the town manager and the mayor worried about their job mm -hmm. you know then they would be insulated from that because they report to someone else right you know yeah it almost seems and i'm again i'm a dummy so don't take anything i'm saying as verbatim but my thought is that hypothetically the way things should work is that the people should connect with the council and let the council know what they want and then the council should leverage the town staff to drive out those things and it seems almost reversed to me where the town staff we always hear plan the work work the plan the town staff is so focused on working the plan that the town council almost becomes a buffer for them between the people as opposed to a representative. Yes, the, the, town's, the council is pretty much a scapegoat. 
and you'll see that the town now has a marketing department. Mm -hmm. Well, the marketing department isn't there to see what the community wants. It's to tell the community why the government's plan is far superior than anything anybody else could dream up. Yeah. You know, and I think that's the wrong way. You want you want the idea to be the community's idea because now the community is pushing it through. Mm -hmm. But the way it is now, it's government's idea and government's trying to force it upon you. Right. You know, which just sets up a bad dynamic. Yeah. Yeah, I think that gaslighting comes to mind a little bit. Yeah. So <laughs> so so the the new development process mm -hmm. that that I've been pushing so hard, where I'm trying to get the developers to talk to the community before it comes to the planning commission and the council. You know, that then reverses everything where now the community's pushing this because they've already right. bought into it. You know, right. and we've seen how smooth it goes whenever you get the community bought in first before the decision is made. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. You yeah. know, so I would like to see government do this in all things. Yeah. Marketing should be more community engagement rather than you know, us just spinning, spinning it to tell you why our idea is superior. Right. Yeah, it's very interesting to me. I mean, at a time when you hear corporations talking about like the relentless pursuit of pleasing the customer and knowing the customer, it it almost feels contradictory here. Yeah, absolutely. Cool. Last question: um, How should voters measure an effectiveness of a candidate? This is a good one. So I think that people have got. Um, a luxury this this um, um, cycle. You've got four candidates who have a legislative voting record. Mm -hmm. Okay, so myself, Kathleen Lorenz, Karen Smith, and Andy Byers. You know, we're all involved in normal government. So look at how people have voted. Don't look at their campaign literature because everybody's going to be fiscally conservative. Nobody's going to want to raise your taxes. Everybody's going to want to do the right things. Mm -hmm. You know, they're going to have the right buzzwords. But look at how they vote. If they voted to raise property taxes over and over and over again, don't expect them to change if they get reelected. You know, if you want high property taxes, you have choices. Mm -hmm. If you want people that have fought to try and um, let 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 the unrepresented voices have a seat at the table, then you've got choices there. You've got people that have time and time again voted voted against. Um, the citizens' mm -hmm. requests, you know. So that's how, so that's what I would look at, you know. And unfortunately, in normal, they've been broken up into two separate blocks. You know, you've got the people that are uh, we, the government candidates, is kind of what I refer to them as. Uh, we think government is right. You know, we're going to tell you why government is right. You know, we're smarter, all these other reasons. Mm -hmm. And then you've got we the people candidates. We don't have all the right answers, but we know we represent the people. Yeah. And we want the people involved because the people have got far more ideas than what the professional staff have and the council have. You know, because, gosh, there's 54,000 people in normal. We right. should rely on them. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. You know, because there are some things that I don't care which way, like, which way the vote goes. As long as the community got involved, if the community is behind it, why should I push back against the community? You know, I'm somebody that I want my kids to come back here. That's that's kind of my mission. Make this better for my kids to come back here. You've got other candidates that are saying my kids have already left and I want them to find their own normal somewhere else. Well, they're not looking for the generation 20 years from now. Mm -hmm. You know, they're going to pay for all of our spending today. You know, so, you know, um, Carl Sela. He's another townie too, you know. Regardless of how bad Illinois gets, or Bloomington normal, you know, taxes and stuff like that, we've got family here that's 
kind of anchoring us here. Mm -hmm. Other folks that have only been here for a few years, it's a great community to come to, but you know, are you really looking for the long-term impact of the decisions we make? Right, absolutely. Yeah, and I know that's one thing that I think a lot about with the spending that we are doing at the local level of what does this look like 20 years from now as we continue to invite like larger corporations into the area and we don't maybe we don't see the same presence of small locally owned businesses i think i don't yeah i i agree with your point wholeheartedly that this 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 is this should be a destination place for people to want to grow up and then want to come back yeah and we uh, see businesses and we see businesses leaving the state. We see them leaving McLean County, mm -hmm. Bloomington Normal too. You know, jobs are going. State Farm has been moving jobs out. You know, there's been layoffs that were just recently announced. You know, Bloomington Normal can have the best amenities. We can have the best bike trails and everything else, but if it's not affordable, you can't afford to live here. You know, if the businesses aren't coming because it's too expensive to do, to operate in Bloomington Normal, they're not gonna be here, you know, and, the two key things for me, it has to be affordable for you to live here and for businesses to be here. Nothing else really matters if it's not affordable because, you know, like I said, the bike trails, you're not going to live here. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And then the other piece is it just has to be safe because if you're not feeling safe whenever you step out your door, you know, you feel like your kids are going to get shot or something, you're not going to stay here either. Those are the two key things. And we see people leaving Chicago for you know not affordable and not safe you know Bloomington normal we still have safety but mm -hmm. the affordability part we are quickly becoming unaffordable and we see businesses leaving we've got to stop that trend absolutely well cool well thanks for the time I think we can wrap on that um, I guess I should ask is any any closing comments you'd like to leave for the viewers um, I would say that need people need to go out and vote and I'm sure if you're listening to this you are mm -hmm. and don't vote saying, hey, I want to give a couple people from this side a seat at the table and a couple from that side, because things are so one-sided. Even if myself, Carl, and Mark win, we're still going to be in the minority. Mm -hmm. You know, we have to bring a balance, and then hopefully that balance next election cycle, new people are going to run. And then you can start doing, you know, half your votes for one perspective, half for the other, until we get districts where you can really just have one person that you invest your vote in. Well, cool. Well, thanks again for the time and best of luck in the election. All right. Well, thank you. Thank you.